is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome back to Bad Boys and Beyond. We are your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. We are back with another another great show for you today, the 2007 NBA Redraft. Uh, this one is going to be the most, well, maybe one of the easiest number one overall picks that we've ever had, I would I would think. I mean, it's Greg Oden, obviously. That's what we're going to both go with Greg Oden on this. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I, he, he, he is uh under consideration yeah he's 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 i don't know if he's on either of our boards but his name is he his name does exist he is a person and and a player and we will give him that uh but before we get into that uh let's talk a little nba playoffs last night the the heat um absolutely dismantled the boston celtics in game seven and kept the uh now 151 and 0 uh, streak going of teams that were not able to come back from three games to nothing. Keith, do you think that that Jason Tatum ankle thing is uh, is what did them in early? Do you think they were just never able to recover from that, or did they just have a really crappy game? Was Jason Tatum guarding Caleb Martin? I no. Look, look, I, I'm sure it affected them to a degree, but. He he kept playing. Yeah. Uh, look, if you're if you're too hurt to play, you shouldn't be playing. If you're if you feel well enough to play, then shut up about it. Like it seems today, all of a sudden, every player in the Celtics had some sort of ailment that was bothering them. I, I didn't um didn't didn't someone say that they they were sick or something yesterday? Robert Williams, I think. Yeah. It, 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 look. We are what seven, eight months into the into the NBA season since it started. Uh, there's not a player in the league that's not uh, nursing some kind of ailment at this point. That's the price you pay for getting to this point. Just shut up and and look. The Pistons have been guilty of this too. I remember in 2006, they were when they lost to the Heat. They they were all of a sudden they were fatigued from these deep playoff runs year after year. It, just just stop you. If, if if you lose, lose with grace. Uh, as far as the actual series go, it, from a historical perspective, uh, this actually has happened to the Celtics once before. Uh, everyone remembers that uh, 1981, that famous 3-1 comeback that uh, the Celtics and Larry Bird had against the Sixers. What a lot of people don't remember is that the very next year, once again, the Sixers went up 3-1, and once again, the Celtics came back in, in 1982. And it was a lot of, um, at least what was written at the time, it, it was very much the same feeling as this, where everyone thought the game seven was a fait accompli and the, and the Sixers just had a, or uh, the Celtics had a mental edge over the Sixers, and that never happened. Uh, the, the Sixers walked into the Boston Garden for game seven, and they just blew the Celtics out, and that's kind of what it felt like, even though it was a 3-0 comeback and not a 3-1 comeback, it, it kind of felt like, things just reverted back to how they were the first three games where the heat were just a better team. Uh, and the Celtics for whatever reason, didn't have the same chemistry and they kind of lacked confidence after the first quarter yeah. when their threes weren't falling and they, it didn't seem like they had a, a plan B. Not that it makes like a whole world of difference, but that Celtics crowd was just like taken out of the game almost immediately. Like, I think the crowd would have. They scored 15 points in the first quarter. Well, even before that, it just seemed like, you know, midway through the first quarter, the Heat take a lead, and it just seemed like they were just, you know, like they had just given up. And they showed they showed your boy Bill Simmons in the crowd there, too. He looked distraught, uh, would, <laughs> would be the, be, uh, the best word. Um, downtrodden, I think, is another good word. He looked just hurt. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, he, he, he kind of deserves it to me after throwing <laughs> the, the coach Joe Mazzulla under the bus after I think the first game one or game two. All of a sudden, he 
No, no. I if, if you're going to be that much of a jerk to your rookie head coach, you know, be a jerk the whole way. Don't suddenly change your opinion. I don't know. I, I was kind of, of all the Celtics fans that had their hearts ripped out uh, last night. Bill Simmons is is one of the the few that I had no sympathy for. Sorry to interrupt you. No, you're you're right. I mean, he was he was incredibly quick to go on his podcast and and call for Joe's job. Um. I think, you know, look, Missoula's got a long way to go, but like he helped, he got that team to fight back from that being down the three nothing. That's nothing to nothing to balk at. Like that's the kind of thing that you you make sure you're you you keep a coach when uh they can do something like that. The only the only bad thing about this this whole series ending is that possibly the craziest ending to a game that I've ever seen, the game six ending means nothing now no one will ever remember it it'll just be that one thing that happened but um but we've got uh, the final starting and uh, if you're listening to this on Wednesday the final start tomorrow game 1 heat nuggets i think keith we're probably both in agreement when we say nuggets and 4 i think nuggets and 5 i think it'll be a gentleman sweep uh, i i just can't see this miami heat team with as much uh, guts as they've displayed through the entire playoffs, just bowing out in four games. I got to believe Jimmy Butler uh, will get them one in Miami. But And look, this is not a slight against the Miami Heat, who have, they have just had the toughest road uh, I've ever seen to get to the finals. But once they get there, I, I think the Denver Nuggets, before the playoffs started, were probably the most championship-ready team of any of the 16 teams. So this is actually going to be a harder test than the Celtics beating the Celtics and the Bucks, which is insane to me. I really don't think that Miami has any answer for, first of all, they play zone. Uh, a majority of their, as we saw in game seven, they played zone a huge chunk of that game because they're so good at it. They play it more than more often than any other team. But the problem you're running into is uh, the Denver Nuggets, have the best offense in the entire league against zone defenses. And if you play man, which Miami is, they don't have the personnel to play 48 minutes of man to man. But if, if, even if they try, you're, you're going to have to deal with Jamal Murray, who they have nobody that can guard uh, in their backcourt. So it's really pick your poison. Uh, as far as the heat go, I, I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could catch fire and just, knock down so many threes that it doesn't matter. Uh, but uh, unless this uh, superhuman streak uh, continues of guys like uh, Caleb Martin coming out of nowhere and shooting 70%, not to mention, I, th I think Denver is a has better personnel to defend them than the Celtics did. I just don't see this series going longer than five games. I think Denver has the eye on the, uh, on the prize. They, they've been denied for so many years. Uh, as young as that team is, it's kind of funny to say that, but they, they're that team that's been denied a chance at a ring. Uh, they've been together for a number of years, and this is their chance, and I think they're going to jump on it. I, I think Miami is that type of team, too. I just don't think they have nearly the talent Denver does. Yeah, no, it should it should be uh, should be fun. I, I uh, selfishly would love to see Jokic get that ring and kind of shut up all the uh, the talk that's around him with the whole, yeah, he's won MVPs, but he doesn't, he can't win in the playoffs and all this and that. Yes. Um, but boy, this has been the the playoffs for, for guys who uh, are about to get paid, who probably weren't going to get paid before this Austin Reeves, Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, all these guys are going to wind up getting paid a ton of money based off of these playoff performances. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. My, Miami in particular has a lot of, they have a lot of big decisions to make. Yeah. I, Duncan Robinson, I, I think they will trade him for whatever they can get because I think this is the first time in years that he's actually been tradable. I, I don't think that – I still don't think he's necessarily worth his contract, but I, I think another good team out there that badly needs a shooter that's already pretty good would jump on the chance to take him. I think he's proven that much uh, in the playoffs. But, yeah, Max Drews, also a free agent uh, – Man, I mean, what do we even offer the guy? He fits so well on Miami, but he's also arguably a system player that may not may not look as good on another team. The Celtics, I believe, had him at one point, and they cut they him did. in training. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, 
it, it, I don't know that the, the, it's a fun team because they have so many undrafted players, but because of that, they have so many players that are not on uh, long-term contracts. And now that they've had this major run of success after barely making the playoffs, they have to figure out what's real and what's not. And uh, which one of these guys do we keep around and which one of these guys do we let go? Cause I promise you, they're not going to go into the luxury tax to retain this roster. Right. Well, we'll see what happens. I'm very much looking forward to kind of getting to the next step of things for uh, to see what the Pistons are going to do with this offseason. I just yep. got to fix this thing. But a, a coach would be nice. That would uh, yeah, be nice. Would love a coach. Um, you know what? I, I don't want to stray too much off the point, but uh, 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 I, this is a 2007 NBA draft episode. What's everybody's problem with Kevin Ollie? I don't understand why Kevin Ollie is a bad coach and why everybody hates that that's the possibility. I don't, I, I would rather have Monty Williams or, uh, you yeah. know, something like that. But like if Kevin Ollie, if, if, if Troy Weaver believes enough in this guy, I mean, I, I don't know. What's the problem with him? He won a national championship. That's. Yeah. No, no I, and I made this point on Twitter already, but. I think people's problem with Kevin Ollie is that nobody else seems to want Kevin Ollie, and everyone else wanting your candidate somehow makes them better, which in some cases might be true. It's just, let's be honest. No one knows anything about these uh, guys that have never been hit coaches in the NBA, whether you're a college coach or an assistant uh, or whatever. No one knows uh, anything about his X's and O's or anyone else's X's knows that hasn't been an NBA head coach before. So all you have to go on is what, what, what other teams want this guy. And you, you, you have a lot of people, uh, for lack of better verbiage, I think you have a lot of people just speaking out of ignorance and, and frustration. And look, Kevin Ollie would not be my first choice just looking at resumes, but I, I'm not going to sit here and say that he'd be a terrible NBA head coach. I have no reason to say that. He failed at UConn because he didn't have players. And he took a rather mediocre UConn team to a national championship. He couldn't even recruit at that level, though, and I think that's why they kind of fell off and why his co- uh, coaching record at UConn fell off towards the end. I don't think I don't know if it was because of his X's and O's. He didn't set, It's not like he sent guys to the NBA left and right. Now... Well, I I think there's an outside chance they could be waiting for because I think we've gone through the whole circus of or the carousel of of Troy's guys, which are obvious obviously Kevin Ollie and um uh, Charles Lee. But I, I think we might be moving into because ultimately it's the owner's decision to sign off on it. And I think yeah, he's had his meetings and he's not impressed and he wants his guy to to have another interview. And I think that might be Chris Quinn. I think that's might be why we're sitting on our hands and interviewing the same guys over and over again, but that's just a theory. I, I have no proof of that. Well, I guess we're, we're going to find out uh, hopefully soon enough. Um, I was listening to Bun and Cardigan this morning and James seems to think that maybe by the end of this week, we'll, we'll know, but I guess uh, I'm not going to hold my breath, but all right. Let's uh, jump into it. The 2007 NBA draft. Keith, uh, what are the news and notes, if any, on this on this draft? Yeah, this draft is kind of a throwback. Uh, not necessarily back to how it was in the 80s, but you, you had a lot of uh, college basketball heavily affected this draft. You had a third of the players drafted were college seniors. Uh, you had... Uh, five of the top nine picks uh, appeared in the NCAA championship game in the final four. So you, you didn't have all of the, the young talent that, that previous drafts had, or it just didn't have, you just didn't have enough of it coming up. And you had all the uh, college seniors that had developed. Uh, the, the irony is that the top two picks in this draft bar none were one and done players. <laughs> and uh it was very much seen as a as a two person draft, or the two guys that you would get excited for, the guys that everyone wanted in the lottery. And we're we're talking about today, uh, the the lottery that we just had, where the Pistons dropped from first to fifth, but everything else kind of stayed the same. Uh, in this draft, in particular, uh, the the first pick was won by the team with the seventh best odds. <laughs> 
and eight percent odds. And then the second pick was won by the team, uh, or excuse me, five percent odds. And the, the second pick was won by the team with the fifth best odds at five percent. So just imagine if that would have happened today, you'd have you would have had like Indiana and uh, I, I don't know who had the seventh uh, pick this time around, but yeah, they, they like Indiana and Orlando or something. Uh, jumping up to one and two the chaos that that would have happened and that's oh, yeah. kind of how it was in the 07 lottery where it was two teams the, the sonics and the blazers that nobody envisioned having these top two picks all of a sudden they had them uh but anyways th- those are my uh my notes for the 2007 draft all right well uh keith i do believe that it is your turn to pick first Uh, the Portland trailblazers are on the clock and I would imagine that there's going to be, uh, some sprinting to the podium. Yeah. If I'm the blazers and look, it's easy to judge them in hindsight because the game is uh, very different now, even from back then, only 16 years ago, you, you still wanted that franchise big man. And there were some doubts about this. Uh, specific players uh, durability and his not not too dissimilar from Victor Wembanyama that, that his frail frame may limit his his career in the NBA uh, but obviously none of that's true that's all bullshit and the, the clearly the best player in this draft class is Kevin Durant who I am taking at number one I am I'm going to pair uh, Kevin Durant with with Brandon Roy and we are we could make a finals run uh Look, we're going to have to get through the Lakers, but I think we could challenge the Lakers uh, sooner than later, at least in the next uh, two or three years before uh, poor Brandon Roy's knees give out. I, a, I absolutely fun love, team. Love, yeah, I, I know. I absolutely love love this fit for the Blazers. I think they're going to do bigger. And look, you still have uh, LaMarcus Aldridge on this team. So you have LaMarcus Aldridge, Brandon Roy, Kevin Durant. I mean, that is an amazing two, three, four. And you can put pretty much anyone around those guys. And yeah, yeah, I think this is a 50-win team. Maybe not this coming season, but 09 and 2010. I think those are prime years. I think just imagine what Kevin Durant would have done for the the community of Portland. It would have just been a, a major love affair. I uh that's I mean, this is obviously the way that it should have gone. And uh yeah, yeah. But Alas, it did not. Uh, the Seattle Supersonics are up with the second pick, and I'm looking at their their roster here, Keith. You want to know uh, their centers? I'm going to go ahead and read their names off for you. Francisco Elson. Okay. Uh, Jordan, uh, Johan Petro. Johan. Yo, excuse me, sorry. Uh, Mohamed Sine, who was a lottery pick last year, believe it yep. or not. Uh, Kurt Thomas, the, the, the great Kurt Thomas. No longer a Nick, now a Sonic, uh, and and everybody's favorite uh, Robert Swift. <laughs> the poor Sonics—they they have always had a curse on finding centers. Yes, they clearly have been trying really hard. They, you know, uh, I believe uh, Swift was also a lottery pick two years ago. So, yeah. so they really, really want this center, and I, I'm going to help them out. The, the Jack Sigma uh, curse. That was was the last great center they had was Jack Sigma. Jack Sigma curse, wow. That was like, uh, he got picked in the the late 70s, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, they won a championship. They went to the finals his rookie year. They won a championship in year two. And then, you know, four or five years later, they start to uh, tear it down, and he was one of the first guys to go, and they they just haven't replaced him since. It's crazy. He went to Milwaukee, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he did. Yep. Uh. So I am going to take, and I think everybody knows which way I'm going here. I'm going to take Mark Gasol with the second pick. Uh, I mean, this guy, I, I I love this guy. I love Mark Gasol. This, he's not going to run up the scoreboard or anything like that, but this is a great leader. This is a guy who can play some good defense. Good. You know, he's, he is going to play a major, major role. This is a, this is a team captain that I've just selected for the Sonics uh, who, you know, I'm sorry. There's no other big superstars left in this draft. This is this is the you know any other year I think Gazal would maybe go a little bit later, but I I really feel as though he is going to end that Sonics center Jack Sigma curse, 
and uh, the Sonics still have a lot more work to do, but uh, but this is a good start for them in their last year in Seattle. All right, you picked Gasol? Mark Gasol. Okay. Yeah, it, 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 he really has had an amazing career from a, a kid that was just <laughs> – he was uh, just overweight in high school, not a very highly touted prospect. It, you could argue the only reason he even got drafted is because he, he was he grew to be the same height as his brother, and his brother was an all-star. And he winds up getting traded just as a throw-in for his brother, and he almost – he becomes – I would say if he – if he's not as good a player in hindsight uh, as Pau Gasol, he's like once very small notch below him. Uh, not quite as good offensively, a much better defender. Uh, do, I would say he's a better outside shooter. Just uh, Mark Gasol, just a quintessential uh, team player. Uh, I'm so glad that he got his ring with Toronto at the tail end of his career. He actually contributed uh, quite a bit to that. He wasn't just a, along for the ride. He actually played pretty well, especially against the uh, the Bucks. Uh, how he goes? Sorry, no, I, uh, I'll finish your point there, and I, I was going to add something. Yeah, how how he fits in with the Sonics? Uh, we we all know that they're about to rebuild, just tear down and rebuild the entire team. I think he's a perfect uh, big man to build around. He's not going to make you too good right away. You're still going to be in the lottery for the next couple of years. But we all know he develops into uh, a defensive player of the year candidate and an all-star and just a quintessential uh, uh, center hub. So I, I think this is a – I can't argue with this pick. I think I might have picked him at two as well. So this was during the time when uh, when I was living in Memphis – and the Grizzlies were relatively new to Memphis at this time, and obviously Paul Gasol was was the the big the big player there. Like everybody was talking about Paul Gasol, and then it was, you know, I'm in high school, and Mark is in high school in a relatively close area, uh, and everybody's talking about Paul Gasol's brother, and you you look at Powell and you think, you know, you see this skinny, tall. He's a somewhat muscular guy, and you think, oh, I bet Mark probably looks like that too. No, Mark did not look like that. Mark looked like a childhood uh, Nikola Jokic. Like he was just a chubby, uh, long haired. He just, you, you looked at him and you're like, I don't, he's not going to the NBA. <laughs> he's going to be like the next Brent Gresky or, uh, you know, like these, these, uh, these great players who have, have younger brothers who, just don't amount to anything, but no, I mean, he, he turned out to be a really great player, won a championship, um, led the Grizzlies to the Western conference finals. Uh, uh, and, and yeah, just did some big things there. Everybody loves him in Memphis. All right. So, uh, the, the third pick, the team that just missed out on the, the top two sweepstakes, uh, the Atlanta Hawks, and they are about to, they're about to begin on a, uh, on a renaissance. They're, they're about to be a, a playoff team and arguably a, a borderline contender for a number of years. And I'm faced with a, actually, this is a very interesting choice because I can either stay the course or I can give them the player that they've always wanted, but they never had. And looking at the roster that they have right now, Marvin Williams, Joe Johnson, Josh Smith, uh, Josh Childress. I mean, that, that is a hell of an athletic uh team and mm, you know what I, I'm going to stay the course here even though I know it doesn't result in a championship uh, Al Horford uh, one, one of the best players the Hawks uh, have ever had since they moved to Atlanta uh, they did not succeed too far in the playoffs but it wasn't because he couldn't play it was just because they didn't have that that top end talent and look, if Kevin Durant was on the board, obviously I would pick him instead. Hell, I might even pick Mark Gasol ahead of Al Horford. I, I'm not really sure. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is, Al Horford, you, you don't get worse Ravik, for having Al Horford on your team. You get better. He is a ceiling raiser. He is a guy that makes the other four guys on the court better. Uh, it is on the Hawks from this point to manage their team better and to, to put better players around him. Uh, but I am not going to disrespect the game uh, just to make things interesting. 
Uh, Al Horford is clearly the best player on the board to me. And if you look at his career in Atlanta, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, Them not advancing to the finals is not his fault. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, the guy is still a a big part of... Uh, he started of last team. night. I mean, yeah. yeah. He he doesn't move, as, doesn't move as well as he used to. And I know, you know, there were a lot of times where he... I I just... Most lackadaisical defense <laughs> that I've ever seen. But, you know, it comes with the age. But that's fine. But no, I mean, he still can hit hit a three every now and again. Like, he's still a, a an impact player. And uh, I would yeah. imagine he's not going anywhere. Um, as for uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, I'm going to do the same thing you just did, and I'm going to stay the course. Uh, I think Mike Conley is the easy pick here. Like, Conley was with the Grizzlies forever, yeah. was a great player for them, um, part of that grit and grind team. And then, you know, he continued to be a great player, still is, uh, you know, playing pretty well uh, for Minnesota right now, was, was in the playoffs. He's 35. I don't know how much time he's got left, but, like, Mike Conley's a, a a great point guard, and uh, the Grizzlies needed that, and they were right to uh, to pick there. Um, this Grizzlies team is just really weird, by the way. When you look at it, they also had Kyle Lowry on that team, and uh, and Mike Miller, and Darko, and Damon Stoudemire. And it's uh, weird that this team didn't do any better than this, and any just- better than twenty two and sixteen. Yeah, it was just the the Memphis curse. You call it the Mike Miller curse. They they never found a competent small forward after they let Mike Miller and Shane Battier go at about the same time. It was just that that Grizzlies team was championship caliber, and they kept running out guys that like Quincy Pondexter or ninety five year old Tayshawn Prince. Like I don't know why they had all stars at. at just about every position, but when it came time to for, to find a small forward, they went to Dollar Tree. I don't, I, I never understood why they couldn't just find that competent fifth guy. They didn't even need a great guy; they just needed someone that could play in the playoffs, and they could never find it. Uh, yeah, much like my point with Al Horford, you, yours is correct with Mike Conley. They didn't lose in the playoffs because of him; they got there because of him. They they needed better management uh, around around him at the at the wing positions. Absolutely. All right. So, so up next, uh, picking number five, the Boston Celtics. But as we all know, uh, this pick is not going to the Boston Celtics. It is going to the Seattle Supersonics and a prearranged trade for Ray Allen. So, uh, the Sonics, uh, we've already drafted Marc Gasol, so I know I don't need a big man, uh, which is a problem for me because best player on the board to me is a big man. Well, the two or three of the best players on the board are all big men. So do I want like a twin towers situation? Cause this, this would be pretty great. Um, I'm not staying the course. I know that. Hmm. You know what? Hmm. I, I was trying to talk myself into it, but I can't do it. I, I am going to make a, uh, a major leap here. This is probably going to be the riskiest pick I've ever done. Uh, from DePaul, uh, the the Celtics on behalf of the Seattle SuperSonics select Wilson Chandler. Love it. And I figure, you know what? You're you're trading away Ray Allen, your franchise two guard. Uh, Wilson Chandler, uh, by no one's expectations, is a franchise Hall of Fame caliber two guard, but he's a very very good one. Uh, everyone laughed at Isaiah Thomas in Madison Square Garden when he made this selection on behalf of the Knicks, and it wound up being arguably the best pick in the entire draft. Uh, Wilson Chandler, good size, uh, good body, excellent uh, skills, a hell of a shooter, uh, not the greatest defender, but I, he had a, a role as like a, a third or fourth option in the starting lineup for years on a lot of very good teams. Uh, he's the type of player that every other team would love to have as their as their fourth or fifth option. And yeah, I have nothing else to say other than Wilson Chandler to me is somehow the fifth pick in his own draft class. I think it's a great pick. I I mean I loved Wilson Chandler. Uh, 
I always thought, I mean, Michigan native, obviously. I always thought that he was, you know, a lot better than than uh, he ever got credit for. I have yeah, been... he, he kind of bounced around a lot too on a lot of they were good teams, but they were a lot of like nondescript teams. So I, I don't think he ever kind of got the credit that he deserved because he was he wasn't a guy that was playing on ABC or TNT every week. Right. Oh, all right. I have an interesting decision here with the Milwaukee Bucks. We are two years removed from selecting Andrew Bogut with the number one overall draft choice. We also got Charlie Villanueva in that in that draft. I'd love a point guard, but I just feel like there's no point guards on that are worth taking this high. Um, I'm going to go with Uncle Jeff here. Jeff Green okay. uh, to the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, you know, solid, solid small forward, still playing today. Had that little heart thing, uh, you know, after a couple of years in his career, was able to rebound off of that. I, I mean, great player. Uh, get you points. It'll get, he plays defense. He's a hustle guy. Um, journeyman of the league. I can't believe how many teams this guy has played for. It's insane. Uh, let me count them out real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven teams he's played for. Uh, and is about to play in the NBA finals uh, this week. So I'm really happy for for him going to the NBA final. I think he didn't he win one already with the Celtics. Was he um, on that team? No, 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 no. He was never. No. Uh, oh, that's right. He did go back to the. No, no, he no, no, no. The Celtics have only won one championship in the last 38 years. That was in a way. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. So yeah, here's a guy that's you know you love to see this type of thing. These older guys to get a shot at the title. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But. I like Jeff Green here just because this Bucks team just really has nothing at this point. So really any besides Michael Red and and Andrew Bogut and I guess Charlie Villanueva, this team really doesn't have much. So this this is going to really help him out and he's going to start immediately. Yeah, uh, Jeff Green, uh, he is he is your favorite uh 2000s basketball player's favorite player. <laughs> I I I have lost count of the amount of the times I've heard people praised uh, Jeff Green, former player, current former players, uh, Dwayne Wade uh, gushed, used to gush about him all the time. LeBron did, uh, Kevin Durant did. Everybody loves Jeff Green because he had these expectations for being a top five pick, and he just wasn't ever good enough to live up to them. But he had a very good, very solid career. Didn't have an ego. It didn't never tried to be that guy that he wasn't. It's just. The people, I, I think, media fans, et cetera, when you get drafted that high, the expectations go up, and it's not his fault that he can, he can only be as good as he can be. And I think Jeff Green uh, has maxed out every bit of potential that he had and, and then some because he should not be playing basketball right now, and he's about to be playing in the NBA Finals, it, it, actually in a rotation. I, I think he's actually a really uh, good story of how, how – you don't need to live up to the expectations of where you're drafted in order to have a successful career. Uh, yeah, as far as the Bucks go, they're a, kind of a dumpster fire right now. Uh, they've got Andrew Bogut, not much else. They're about to rebuild. And I, I think he's – look, Jeff Green is a he, – he's a glue guy. So he's gonna, he would fit in no matter what direction they decide, decide to go. Oh, speaking of dumpster fires – uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves are on the clock at number seven, and uh, they have just traded their their the man who was their franchise all by himself, uh, Mr. Kevin Durant, or excuse me, Kevin Garnett, and they've gotten back Al Jefferson and a uh, uh, bag of chips. And I, I know he's had their other players went back with him, but Al Jefferson was pretty much it. They could have had. Insisted on Rajon Rondo, but for whatever the reason, they didn't insist hard enough. Anyway, uh, so basically, this is the um, the Gerald Green and Al Jefferson show for at least this season. You know what? I'm not even going to think twice about it. Uh, at from Florida, the the Minnesota Timberwolves like Joe Kim Noah, 
And yeah, it's kind of a, it'll be kind of an interesting fit putting Al Jefferson, who's a four or five type in with Joakim Noah, who is a five and nothing else. But I don't care. Joakim Noah has been the most talented player on my board for like three picks now. And I, I can't just pass him up at this point. He's so clearly better than everyone else on my draft class. Al Jefferson is a, well, a very talented basketball player at major defensive liability. You hope that Joakim Noah can cover for that. And that's another thing the Timberwolves have never had is a great defensive center. Joakim Noah, certainly that, a former defensive player of the year at one point. Uh, it, it, he's kind of ba basically what Marcus Gasol was, but without the without the scoring. He could do everything else that Marcus Gasol could do, and he was probably even a little bit better defensively. Uh, I, I love this pick for the Timberwolves, if only for the reason that Joakim Noah is the only one in this roster that I really want to keep around, uh, you know, past – three or four years. If Al Jefferson works out great, if not cool, you have a, you have a very good defensive anchor to draft players around. And that's a great start. Uh, all right. Well, I have the, uh, the golden state warriors here. And this is an interesting one because I am struggling with what I'm going to do here. I, this team is, um, an interesting team. This They made it to the playoffs this year, or almost made it to the playoffs. Sorry, they did not make it to the playoffs. Uh, they they were they won 48 games, though, which was actually, that's impressive for that, for, for the team that was the laughing stock of the league. They're two years away from, from changing everything. This was the We Believe Warriors team. Is this the We Believe Warriors team? Yeah. Okay, well... They, this this team did not make it to the playoffs. Last year was the We Believe Warriors team. That's what I'm saying. Last year. This, they're oh, yeah, yeah. Them. Oh, okay. All right. I, I see what you're saying. Okay. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Uh, Chris Weber is on this team, by the way, in case uh, anybody forgot. Um, for for some reason, he's returned to Golden well, State. He, well, I think he was there for like two games or something. Yeah. It, it was just a, I want to retire where I started type deal. I really thought Joakim Noah was was going to be a, a good pick for this team, but um, you uh, stole him from me. So I am going to real, real quick. Do you know how the Warriors got this pick? No, uh, why this this pick originally belonged to the Charlotte Bobcats? Do you know they traded to get this pick? Stephen Jackson. No, it was actually one one of your uh, one of your favorite college guys. Oh, uh, oh! Is this the uh, is this the Adam Morrison trade? No, I meant no. I actually good college guys. Um, well, Jason actually, Richardson. Oh, okay, Michigan State. Okay. They traded Jason Richardson to the Bobcats for this pick. Ah. I'm, I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt your train of thought. I just thought I wanted to know if you knew or not. No, I didn't, and but I know now. Uh, oh man. Actually, you know what? I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to select Thaddeus Young uh, yeah. to, to go play for the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Thaddeus Young, a very underrated player, uh, very underrated power forward, a, a guy that was, was averaging double digits in, in points and rebounds at one point. Solid guy uh, for years i mean he's actually played he still plays uh we're, yeah. we're we're in that we're in that realm now we're we're drafting guys who are still in the league that's uh that's crazy to me he's 34 years old played for the raptors this year off the bench uh you know decent season uh but but with philly and and with indiana uh indiana especially and uh he was he was a very good player and i think that he's going to fit in well here on a team that has really no power forward to speak of other than Brendan Wright and, and uh, a Chris Weber and Matt Barnes. And none of these guys are, are long for this world. So, Oh, and Austin Crochier, sorry. Um, so yeah, I think uh, Thaddeus is going to come in and, and help this team out a lot. And uh, once they get Steph Curry here pretty soon, that's going to be a nice little running mate for him. Yeah, I want to say Thaddeus was the youngest player in this draft. I don't know that for a fact, but I, I know he was a one-and-done. I, I know he was a, the biggest kind of mystery, uh, well, at least among the college players in this class. And a lot of people had him in the top five or people that had him in the 1920 range. No one quite knew what to make of this guy. 
but in the end, he's outlasted just about everybody. He, as you said, he's still playing today. It, there's a lot of longevity in this draft class. Yeah, I um, love that. Yeah. Yep. And, and how how does he fit with Golden State? I long term, I think he fits uh, perfectly well because he doesn't need the ball in his hands to be successful, which is exactly what you want going forward with a team that has you know Steph and Clay Thompson on it. So if he if he lasts that long, I, I think he's a very good fit. Okay, so the Chicago Bulls, and the important thing with the Chicago Bulls is uh, the baby. The era of the baby Bulls is just about over. Uh, they are about to embark on one of their worst seasons. Well, one of the their worst seasons, and but it, they're going to get rewarded with uh, Derrick Rose next season. So I don't want to make them better than they already are. And fortunately, no one on this board <laughs> remaining. No one, no one remaining on my board uh, has the ability to do that. So, and I, I just see an outstanding uh, backcourt partner for him in the future, and that is uh, out of UCLA, the Chicago Bulls select Aaron Aflalo. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Aflalo, who a lot of Pistons fans lovingly called Scrabble because no one could spell his name correctly. Uh he went from being one of the most underrated players in the draft to almost being overrated because everyone couldn't stop talking about how underrated he was. Uh, it was what, uh, just about a 20 point per game score at one point after he left the Pistons. Uh, he, not an all NBA type defender, but a plus defender, certainly not necessarily a guy that made plays for others, but if, if you just asked him to to play tough defense and to, to score the ball efficiently, he did that. He did that very, very well. I know he had some injury issues, but uh, I think this is still tremendous value. It's not Joakim Noah, who the Bulls originally selected here, but this is still tremendous value for the ninth pick in the draft. Yeah, I can't hate it. Uh, he's one of those guys that the Pistons had for such a short period of time and then got rid of, and then he wound up being this great player. Um, it's it's just another Chris Middleton type situation where you just wish they wow. wouldn't have got rid of these guys. I mean, obviously he's he is not on Chris Middleton's level. Yeah, but that's just that's just the umbrella of uh, the umbrella uh, example that I use for for all these things. Um, but yeah, he's just another guy that it's just I wish they would they got rid of him too fast. I wish they would have held on to him. I agree. Maybe a better example would be he. It's like the Michael Williams uh, situation, where the Pistons got rid of Michael Williams too fast, but they didn't really need him. So I guess it makes sense. All right. Uh, so uh, number ten in this draft belong the this pick belongs to the Sacramento Kings, who are who are just beginning their very very long streak of never making the playoffs. Uh, they don't have a a whole lot to work with at this point. Uh, they're actually. <laughs> they're actually leaning toward more towards go uh, on the being on the way down than on the way up. Uh, Mike, do you have anybody to help him out with this situation? No, I don't. But I have somebody who could uh, could be fun. And and as we say on here all the time, if you can't be good, you at least you could be fun. So I'm going to send Swaggy P to Sacramento, <laughs> and I'm sure this is just going to work out perfectly for everyone involved. Uh, Look, I get it. Nick Nick Young is is a meme. Like I, I I fully understand that. But at the same time, when Nick when Nick wanted to play and he was focused on playing and it wasn't showboat wise and all that stuff, he was a pretty decent player. Uh he could definitely score. At least he could score. Uh, not not the best defender in the world or anything like that, but like if you could get him in the right headspace, he could he could pile up some buckets. And I just looking at who's left, you know, it was either Nick Young or Rodney Stuckey, and I just wasn't ready to draft Rodney Stuckey yet. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go with Nick Young here to the Sacramento Kings, and I'm gonna move Kevin Martin on over to the point guard spot. So yeah, the word "if" is doing a whole lot of heavy lifting. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, uh, Nick Young, very much a, a less stable version of J.R. Smith. Um, oh, yeah. 
I, I think the irony here, you mentioned Rodney Stuckey and Nick Young. That was reportedly the decision that Joe Dumars was left with uh, when he got his turn to select in this draft. It was his two, his last two uh, on his board were Rodney Stuckey and Nick Young. And he didn't choose Nick Young. And you know what? I, I don't regret him not choosing Nick Young because he would have driven me insane. Yes. Uh, Nick Young, uh, very much known for being uh, the fun player on some very, very bad Lakers teams towards the end of uh, Kobe's career. I, I think it's kind of a sad irony that he, he was being, he was all this time he was known as for being a, a shot chucker on teams that never went anywhere. And his very last season, he wins a ring with the, the super talented Golden State Warrior uh, yeah. super team. But he actually did start a couple of playoff games. So it's not like he was just along for the ride, even though he kind of was. All right. Uh, if you want to know, here is here's Nick Young at the very bottom of my board because I couldn't justify not putting him on the board, but I knew if I put him low enough that you would select him and I wouldn't have to make that decision. <laughs> you can always count on me. All right. So uh, number 11, uh, the, the Atlanta Hawks are back on the board. Excuse me. Um, yeah, the Atlanta Hawks are back on the board uh, by virtue of the uh, Al Harrington trade uh, they made several years prior. Uh, I've already given them Al Horford. Their team is kind of together. And this is a very easy pick for me. Uh, from Italy, the Atlanta Hawks select Marco Bellinelli. I like it. And if there's any team, I know that this team has Joe Johnson. I, I, I know Al Horford can shoot a little bit. Uh, Josh Childress can shoot a little bit, but really what this team needed the most was was floor spacing and outside shooting, uh, as well as uh, maybe a point guard that could handle the ball. Uh, but in any case, I, I think Marco Bellinelli, who, was, he, who came into the NBA as a pretty uh, ready shooter, and this Hawks team is going to go into the playoffs uh, immediately starting this season. I, I think it's a, it's a good match with them. I, I think he certainly makes them better from an offensive standpoint. You'll have to cover for him on defense, but uh, Bellinelli has also always played on good teams. Uh, he's never had that had the flash uh, that maybe would make him stand out. But he, if you notice, if you look at his career, he's always played on pretty good teams. Uh, there's a reason for that. Uh, he, he's a good glue guy. He's an excellent shooter. He does he does the job you need him to do, and he doesn't make too much of a fuss. I I, I really love this fit for the eleventh pick. Oh. All right. So, uh, pick number twelve. We keep alternating between teams on the way up and on the way down. Uh, the the Philadelphia 76ers who are are kind of on the way down uh, yes. after trading Allen Iverson, uh, but they have Andre Iguodala, so there's some hope. Uh, there's there's a little bit of hope there. Uh, yes. Mike, who do we have? Well, I am. I am, I think I'm going to go ahead and I think this is where I am going to select Rodney Stuckey. <clears throat> I'm going to put him uh, in the backcourt there with Lou Will and and we're just going to go ahead and see what happens, basically. Uh, Rodney's going to have to play the two in Philadelphia and, because uh, Lou Will is just much better point guard. And I think that actually once the Pistons switch uh, Stucky over to a, a shooting guard, he, he, he started to get better. Yeah. Um, so uh, now we're kind of at the bottom of the, the barrel here a little bit because, you know, these are, uh, it was either him or Ramon Sessions and both these guys just don't play very long. You're going to get 10 years out of them. And that's, you know, I guess that's, that's not horrible or anything, but you know, Stucky's no longer in the league and hasn't been since 2017. But uh, I I think that he's going to fit in he's going to fit in well with the 76ers team that's still got a lot of work to do before they're going to get back to uh, where they're at they're not quite trusting the process at this point. Yeah, and Rodney Stuckey. I mean, and we will do an episode on Rodney Stuckey. I promise you. Definitely. Uh, talk about a guy I mentioned earlier. Guys that were kind of crushed under the expectations of their own draft pick. Uh, Rodney was taken. Uh, by the Pistons just outside of the lottery. But Joe Dumar has put so much faith in this kid uh, that people were comparing him to Dwayne Wade in his rookie season. It was just these this unrealistic bar that he could never hope to climb. 
And then he essentially gutted uh, the the heart and soul of his franchise just to give Rodney a, a starting spot and to prove, I don't know if it had more to do with Rodney's talent or Joe's own ego, but it, it was just, it was a disaster. And then when he, it turned out that he wasn't uh, the ne- a future superstar, uh, everyone kind of turned on him. And, and, and yeah, Rodney was not the most uh, engageable personality, uh, and he he had major flaws to his game. But the fact of the matter is, talent-wise, he's easily one of the 10 most talented players in this draft. He had holes in his game. Uh, he he didn't have any point guard skills, and he wasn't quite tall enough to be to be a wing. But if you just gave him the ball and asked him to score, he would do that, and he would do that pretty damn efficiently. Very athletic, big as hell, strong as hell, and was excellent at drawing fouls. Uh, he, he, he had a lot of lowlights, but also a lot of highlights. And of anybody in this draft, I think Rodney Stuckey probably would have benefited the most from a change of from being drafted by a different team. All right. So my last selection uh, belonged to the New Orleans. They are still the Hornets at this point, but we know them now as the Pelicans. And they are coming off of actually they're about to enter a uh, one great season with Chris Paul and Tyson Chandler and Peja Stojakovich. Uh, they are about to have one of the best record, best records in Western Conference and make a serious run at the finals. Now, who do I select here? Because they got Chris Paul. They, had, they obviously don't need a point guard. Oh, you know what? Yeah, this, this decision is easier than I thought it was. Uh, New Orleans selects Jared Dudley. Uh, Jared Dudley, and it seems we do this just about every draft where there's one guy that didn't put up great statistics, but either you or I value him a lot higher than that because uh, he was such a great glue guy and a 3 and D type player and the type of player that makes uh, good teams great. Uh, Jared Dudley, a bit of a head case, a bit of a loose cannon, but from for the most part, he fits that bill. He made a lot of money in the NBA despite not producing a whole lot of statistics uh, so because he did those two uh, very important things. He defended the hell out of the perimeter, and he was a reliable outside shooter. Now, you put that on a team with that has Chris Paul and Tyson Chandler and David West and Peja Stojakovic, I don't know how good he'll be right away, but these next couple of years in New Orleans, they had a really, really good team. And I think he could actually help them turn a playoff series just, just by being, I think his role, his role, the things that he did the best were that important. All right. Uh, well, rounding out the first round uh, before we obviously do the, uh, the Pistons pick, which we don't have to trade up for this time because it's actually going to be, Sitting right there for us. We don't have to invent a theoretical trade. The theoretical trade actually happened. It's already been done for us. Uh, I am going to select for the Clippers. uh, This is a team that is going to be still very bad for a a while. Uh, The whole Blake Griffin era, the the Lob City, is is still a ways away. A few years down the road. But this team uh, currently, they have Sam Cassell. He's not going to be around that long. Um, actually, I think he's, he's, yeah, he's out of town after, after this season, actually midway through this season, he's gone. He's yeah. He goes to Boston. Uh, and was he on that championship team? Who, Eddie House? No, Sam Cassell. Did he win a title with Boston? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. Did. They bought his, yeah. They let totally him go and he signed with the Celtics. Yeah. Totally forgot about that. All right. I think, I think Stefan Marbury was there too. Or no, no, he was there the next season. That's right. Just missed out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then they also have Andre Barrett uh, and, and Dan Dickow. This team needs a point guard pretty badly. Uh, Owen Smush Parker. Again, this team needs a point guard pretty badly. So I'm going to send Ramon Sessions uh, over there. Uh, Ramon is a guy who, you know, 11 years in the league. Another guy that I, I don't think enough people think about, talk about. Uh, but he was a, he was a solid little point guard there for you get you 15, 16 points a game. Um, you know, not a lot of assists racking up in this draft. I think the guy 
5.7 assists per game is the is the highest that anybody was was uh, was getting in this draft, and that was Mike Connolly. But uh, Ramon Sessions is 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 two two behind him with 4.1 career assists, and that's that's not too bad, I guess. It's uh, not the distributor that I would be looking for, but uh, but it'll work. So uh, the Clippers, they no matter who I take for them, they're 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 not going to be good for a while and there's really just nothing you can do about it but i think uh remote sessions is going to work out nice for them yeah when you said point guard i thought you were going to select a different point guard than the one you did but were you were you thinking aaron brooks yes yeah he was on my board i just i just like sessions a little bit more yeah as i recall he had one amazing game against the detroit pistons i'm trying to look it up right now uh but I think it was this one. Yep. Uh, 13 for 18 from the floor, 18 for 21 from the foul line, 44 points and 12 assists. <laughs> 44 and 12. Charlie Villanueva for the Bucs had 33 points in that same game. But yeah, can you tell Ramon was going was being guarded by Allen Iverson? <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of and effort it, was being put in. Uh, no, but you know, Alan, to his credit, scored um 27 himself and I think had the game winner. But um, uh, aside from that, yeah, uh, Ramon Sessions, uh, pretty damn efficient, uh, floor general, couldn't guard anybody, but he was a career backup, he wasn't really asked to. All right, so now we go to the hypothetical, which is an actual real pick because the Pistons did have the 15th selection in this draft by virtue of trading Darko Milicic to the Orlando Magic. Uh, look, I, I see several players on here, but here's my, my main goal. My main goal is to not encourage Joe Dumars to trade Chauncey Phillips. So, uh, you know what? I am going to, do you, do you have anyone in mind? I do. Okay. It's probably not going to be mine. So I'm going to give it first. Uh, the Detroit Pistons select Carl Landry. That's uh, exactly what I was going to pick. Oh, damn. That's like my oh, exact I, pick. I apologize. They they I have the Anthony Tolliver. No, all right. It's perfect because you know right now they have what they got Dice and Walter Herman, yeah. and then outside of that, Amir Rashid. Johnson and like they Great just Rashid still. Yeah, Sheet's still there too, but but like they're these guys are all going to be gone soon. Yeah, uh, they they need somebody at that power forward spot, and uh, I think Carl Landry just fits in perfectly. Yeah, Carl Landry, the uh, high-end role player, but a guy that it's another guy that made a whole lot of money uh, despite not being a star because he was dependable. He he did the things that you paid him to do, and he didn't do the things that you didn't pay him to do. Uh, he never tried to be someone that he wasn't. Uh, Double-digit score for a number of years. Uh, I believe he was on that some of the original Steph teams. Uh, but yeah, I, I I think he's a a great depth piece. Yeah. McDyce and Rashid, especially, are getting up there in age. They need to have some, some re- if they're if not some off days, they need some some more rest on the bench. And I think uh, Amir Johnson clearly wasn't ready at that time, but I think Carl uh, Landry is. He's an NBA ready player right off the bat. I don't think he helps them beat the Boston Celtics, uh, but who knows? Uh, maybe they'll have fresher legs. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I. I... We, you and I are constantly agreeing. I'm telling you, the Pistons need to just give us a job and just let us <laughs> put us in the scouting department. It, we we've got uh, we at least have some cohesiveness here, so should make it easy. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for the 2007 NBA draft. We'll have the 2008 one coming up very soon, and that is going to be an incredibly interesting conversation as to what to do with that number one pick. And I. I very much look forward to the Russell Westbrook versus Derrick Rose debate. Uh, I think I already know what my answer is going to be, but we'll see what Keith thinks uh, when we get to that one. But next week is a gigantic show. Huge. It's our 50th episode. Thank you to everyone who is, who has stuck with us, uh, you know, through, through the last, I don't know how long it's been almost a year at this point. Uh we, we, we love all of you guys, and, and because of that, we are finally going to give you the Joe Dumars episode next week. 
Joe Dumars as a player. Uh, we are going to do this as a, in a two-part thing. So we're going to cover Joe as a player and we're going to cover Joe as a GM. But first up, we're doing his uh, his playing career. And that should be uh, a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. There's going to be a tons of stories because I think both of us have had the opportunity to meet Joe. Um, I know that I have. And uh, there'll be some storytelling there. And uh, we'll go over, obviously, the Jordan rules and and how Joe was like the only guy who could stop Jordan or was one of the only guys who could stop Jordan. And uh, yeah, I look very much forward to to talking about that. And uh, we'll see you guys next week with Joe Dumars.